you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. chapter 7. I give honor to my pastor in in his absence today. I don't know if he is watching online, but hey, pastor, if you are, everybody give your pastor a great big hand. Let them know that you love him. Normally, when God shows up, as he has already this morning, because I have felt his presence, I feel it now, he shows up because there are some needs that are present in the house. When I talk about needs, I'm I'm not talking about the basic, the trivial, the mundane needs of life because we all have them. But I'm referring to some real needs that are represented in this house this morning. I can look across the congregation and I I know of some needs, the very serious and dire needs that are here. And God has showed up because of your need this morning. Circumstances that only God can work out in your life. And that when he steps in on the scene, that only God can receive the glory and the praise for it. And I, I, don't, I don't just say that. I don't say anything about needs to discourage anybody. Because I believe that if you've come with a need this morning, I've got good news for you because you brought your need to the right place. God is here to meet you at your point of need. God is here to speak to you at your point of need. So if you come with a need today, I want you to be open to the possibilities I preached to you this morning. That your need just might be something that God desires to use to take you to somewhere you have never been. What God wants to unlock in your life is going to be unlocked through your time and through your place of need. I wish that I could say that once you come to know Him, once you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and once you're baptized in the name of Jesus, I wish that I could tell you that you're never going to have a need and that you're never going to have want for anything in your life. But if I did, I'd be lying to you because we all need things. What you need may be different than what I need. And what I need may be very different from what you need. But the reality is, is that we all need God to do something in our lives. 2 Kings chapter 7, beginning verse number 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. 
And they said one to another, why sit here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. What a what a predicament they find themselves in. They said, if we go back to the city, there's no food to eat, and we'll die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. They found themselves in a precarious situation where it seemed like all around them, no matter what they did, no matter what they chose, that death was imminent. Through starvation, through the condition of leprosy that plagued their bodies, and through the hand of the enemy that sought to kill them. And so, my title will make sense to you in a moment, but I want to preach to you for the next few moments on this subject, the need to have a need. The need to have a need. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands to heaven right now? And would you ask God to speak into this place? Would you ask revelation to be poured out in this house? God, I need you right now. God, we feel your presence so strongly in this place. God, you have met us here. The praise team has done such a great job in ushering in your presence today, God. But now your word is to go forth, God. And I pray that you would anoint your messenger. I can't do it without you today, God. I've got to have you, Lord. I want you to speak through me. God, let your anointing rest from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. God, and let your anointing rest upon the congregation, God. I pray that you would anoint and open our ears to hear. God, anoint and open our hearts to receive and in our minds to understand what you are speaking to your people today and will never fail to give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Now, would you put your hands together and give God one more hand clap of praise in this house. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I believe that we live in the greatest country in the world. I believe that we live in the greatest country in the world. America is truly the land of the free and the home of the brave. So many men and women that have gone before us have given the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have and enjoy our freedom. And I think that we ought to thank all of those that have gone before us and given them the, and paid the ultimate price. There are so many things to admire about the American spirit, though. Woven into the fabric of every American is an independence that says, if something needs to happen, we can make it happen. If we need it, we can build it. If we can put our shoulder to the plow, 
then we can make it happen. There is a drive that exists within the heartbeat of every American that causes us to push and to fight and to be the absolute best that we can be. This American independence is truly something that we can all admire. But that's not what I've come to talk about today. But it is, however, my concern that if we are not careful, we will find ourselves much like the church of Laodicea that we read about in the Word of God. The Bible says that the people of Laodicea, Laodicea had need for nothing. They had become so self-sufficient. They had become so self-reliant that they had forgot how to lean and to rely on Almighty God. The problem with getting to this point is that sooner or later, you are going to find yourself in a time and place of need that you cannot work your way out of. You're going to find yourself in a time and a place that you can't figure your own way out. You're going to find yourself facing circumstances that you're going to have to say, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. But because of the way that we're wired and because of how we are conditioned, we are conditioned to see our times and places of, of need as, uh, of, as weakness and as vulnerability and as defeat. I said just a few moments ago that God is here this morning to meet you at your point of need, and I believe it wholeheartedly today. But just as confident as I am that God wants to meet you at your point of need today, I'm equally as confident that the enemy, too, would love nothing more than to meet you at your point of need. But I would to God that somebody this morning would make up in your mind that even in my time in place of need, I refuse to hear the voice of despair. I refuse to hear the voice of disillusionment. I refuse to hear the voice of discouragement. Even in my time in place of need, I'm going to hear the voice of faith. I'm going to hear the voice of possibility. And I'm going to believe the Report of the Lord in my time and place of need. I've learned. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't gotten used to this preaching thing with glasses. I can't even see. I'm smudging everything. But I've learned that the same circumstance that the enemy would like to use to make you give up is the very circumstance that God would like to use to cause you to get up from where you're at. The same circumstance that the enemy would like to use to destroy you and to keep you down is the same circumstance that God wants to take and turn it around for your good. So then, we are conditioned to see our times and places of need as times and places of weakness and vulnerability. But I want to challenge somebody in this house today to be open 
to the possibility that your time and your place of need can also be a time and a place of great potential. Your time and place of need can be a time where you find yourself uniquely positioned to see see God do what only God can do. You find yourself in a place at that moment to see the supernatural hand of God working in your life. If you are here this morning and you don't have a real relationship with God, I want you to know that your need can be the vehicle that takes you from where you are to where God wants you to be this morning. But you've got to make up in your mind that I'm going to respond to my need the way that God wants me to respond to my need. I'm going to respond to my need. I'm not going to respond to my need the way that the enemy would want me to respond to it. But I'm going to respond to the need, to my need, the way that God wants me to respond about it. You see, the enemy would like nothing more for you just to fold your hands and just to, to, to get back in bed and, and, and pull the covers up over your head. He would love nothing more than to bind you with that need. He would love nothing more than to cause that need to take you out and destroy you. But I'm here today to tell you that what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to turn to your good. If you'll just turn that need over to him and you tell him, God, I I need you. I need you this morning. I can't do it on my own. Then God will step in. We've got to change our thinking. We tend to only see need as a negative. When in all reality, need can be a great positive. I've watched week after week, month after month, and even year after year, as people come through the doors of our church, and I'm thankful that they do, but they come through, they come through the doors of our church and they possess the need for great change in their life. And some of them make the change that they need, and some of them turn their life over fully to God and allow God to, to, to change them. But the sad reality is that two few of those individuals actually made the changes that were necessary. So many come, but so many also leave unaffected. They sit through the same powerful moves of God that you and I experience. They hear the same powerfully anointed messages that the rest of us hear, and yet they never make the necessary changes in their life to bring about the change that they so need, and they leave this house, and they're still bound. They leave this house, and they're still oppressed. They leave this house, and they're still depressed, but can I tell you that the radical change that needs to take place in our lives are, are, are never going to take place until the need for change becomes greater than our desire to remain the same. The need to change has to become greater than our desire to remain the same. We can know it all we want to. 
Brother Bolin, we can know that we need the change, but until that desire to be different, until that desire to be what God wants me to be and to be at the place that God wants me to be, until that desire becomes greater than my comfortability in being the same way that I've always been, then I'm going to leave service after service, never experiencing the change that God wants to bring about in my life. But if we can ever get desperate, if we can ever cause our, our need for change to become greater than our desire to stay the same, then... Only then will God step in and change us into what we need to be. I'm talking about need today. I'm not talking about desire. The reality is that a lot of people come with some measure of desire to change. But their desire to change never becomes greater than their desire to remain the same. Everything about their lifestyle conspires against them, strengthening their desire to remain just as they have always been. We've got to get beyond somehow a simple desire to change, and we've got to wake up something on the inside of us that says, Not, no longer do I desire to change, but there's something in me that's telling me I've got to change. I can't walk this way one more day. I can't live like this one more month. It might cost me something. It might cost me everything. I don't care, but God created me to be something more than this. It's not just... Just I want to change, but I've got a need for change that matters more than anything in my life. It matters. It matters more than what people may say. It matters more than what someone may think about you. We're all, I, I've said it many times, and I think I even said it, Wednesday night, and I'm going to say it again, we're all good at putting on the facade. We're all good about putting the suit on, the dress on, tying the tie just right, polishing the shoes until you can see your reflection in them. We're good about trying to look the part. But we never truly admit that we need change in our life. It's easy to look. It's easy to look at someone who seems to have it all together and say, well, I, I can never do that. I, I could never be that. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. But let me tell you on the flip side, you see nice polish. You see nice and put together. But the reality is you don't know where they've been. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what God has delivered me from. So quit trying to convince yourself that you can never be like somebody else and go ahead and admit, I may not be like them, but I can be who God has called me to be. I can be what God has called me to be. And I can do what God has called me to do. 
trying to preach to somebody in this house that what makes a need so powerful is that by definition, it makes something no longer optional. It becomes an absolute necessity. You would be surprised as to what you can do when you grab a hold of something as being absolutely necessary. You'll be able to push away from people that you thought you would never be that you would never be able to and that you would forever be bound to for the rest of your life. But when it's absolutely necessary, you'll be able to overcome circumstances and situations that you thought you would be enslaved to for the rest of your life. And when you grab a hold of something and say, this is an absolute necessity, this is a matter of life and death, you'll be surprised what you can let go of. When it's a matter of life and death, you'll be surprised what you can walk away from. I was amazed. The other day I was walking through a parking lot. It was really quite a sight, but walking through nothing but pavement and concrete. I happened to look down and I noticed a tiny, I think it was a plant, sticking up through a crack in the pavement. Some form of life in an otherwise barren area. And I saw it sticking up through the pavement and I noticed it beginning to pop up through the small crack. And it hit me. It hit me then, but it hit me yesterday. That in order for that to have happened, in order for that tiny bit of life to pop up through the crack of that pavement, there had to be something within that plant or whatever it was that says, I, I don't just want the sunlight, but I need, I have to have the sunlight. It had to say, I don't just want the water, but I've got to have the water. I don't just want the air, but I've got to have the air. Listen to me right now when I'm preaching to you. There is no guarantee that you'll ever break through. There's no promise that you'll ever see the light of day. Not pushing, though, is not an option. Not trying, though, is not an option. Not giving everything you've got is not an option. And I've come to preach to somebody today. I've come to preach an attitude into somebody's spirit this morning that says, I've got a need this morning. That matters more to me than what other people think. I've got a need this morning that matters to me more than what is convenient. I've got a need that matters more to me than anything else, and I can't leave the way that I came. I'll beg if I have to. I'll crawl if I have to, but I must hear something from God because I can't afford to leave this house the same way. Would you clap your hands and give God praise right now? You and I can't afford, you and I can't afford to stay the same. I wish somebody would get a hold of that today. We can't afford to be what we've always been. We can't afford to do what we've always done. 
We can't afford to have the same attitude that we've always had towards the thing of God. But there's got to be a change in our life. There's got to be a change in our thinking. There's got to be a change in our spirit that says no matter what it is I have to do, no matter how far I have to go, no matter what i got to let go of, I've got to have change in my life. I'm sick and tired of being the way that I've always been. I'm sick and tired of being bound by what's binding me. I need God to step in and change my life. I'm preaching that a need usually has a negative connotation in our minds, but a need, I want to tell you, can be the catalyst of something great. Need can be the motivation that changes your life from this day forward. But once again, you've got to respond to your need, not in the way that your flesh wants to respond, not the way that the enemy would have you to respond, but you've got to respond the way that God desires you to respond. In 2 Kings, Samaria had found itself in a distressful situation. The armies of Syria had surrounded Samaria and were choking the very life out of them. Samaria found itself in a time of great famine. And the Bible tells us that things were so bad that a donkey's head was being sold for food for 80 shekels of silver or about $400 in modern day money. So bad were things in Samaria, I want you to get this, that they were eating Doves droppings. They were selling dove droppings for five shekels of silver or about $25 in modern day money. Things could not get any worse for them. But all this compels in comparison to perhaps the sickest story that we could ever read of in Scripture where two mothers conspired to kill and to eat their sons. They killed the son of the first mother. Then perhaps thinking more clearly, the second mother went and hid her son because she knew what was going to happen. And, and when the first lady heard of the betrayal of the second, the Bible says that she went and complained to the king. And the Bible tells us that when the king heard the words of the first woman, that he tore his clothes. And when he passed by the wall, the Bible tells us the people saw him with sackcloth on his body. Allow me for a moment, if you would, to paint this picture for you about what was happening in the life of this king. Sackcloth is the clothing of mourning and despair. It is the clothing of hopelessness. It is the clothing of helplessness. It's designed to be uncomfortable. Made, It's made of a rough, coarse goat hair. It, it, it is a reminder that things are not well. It's a reminder that I'm in a low place. And it's a reminder that I am walking through a dark time. So what we read of, what is happening with this king is that he would wake up in the morning and in the privacy of his royal bedroom, he would put on the sackcloth 
the uncomfortable clothing of mourning and despair because after all, things couldn't get any worse. It, they, they have resulted to eating the heads of donkey. They resulted to eating the droppings of a dove and now they were resulting to cannibalism. That he would get up every morning and put on the sackcloth. But before that he ever left the privacy of his courtly room, he would cover that sackcloth with the royal robe of the king. He would then put on the royal colors of a king to cover up what he was wearing underneath. He was mourning. He was in a bad place. Things couldn't get any worse. His people that he was charged to protect, the people that he was charged to make sure that they were provided for, were now scraping the bottom. They were as low as they could possibly get. So he would put on the sackcloth, but before he would leave his room, he would put on the robe, the fine material of his kingly robe, so that when the people looked at the king, all they saw were the royal colors and the kingly robe. But that's not what the king was feeling. Because beneath the kingly robe, he was feeling the constant scratching of despair. He was feeling the constant uncomfortableness of that sackcloth as it would rub his skin raw. All he felt was not the, the great material of his kingly attire, but what he felt and what he so tried to hide was what he was wearing underneath. He would feel the scratch of despair, the constant reminder of his hopelessness and his helplessness. But the Bible lets us know that when he got this bit of news from a mother who had killed her baby, it pushed the king to the point where no, he no longer cared. It pushed him to the point that no longer was he concerned about hiding what he was wearing underneath, but it pushed him to a point to say, I, I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. I, I don't care what anybody says anymore. And the Bible says that he pulled off his kingly robe and people saw the king for what he was really wearing and it was the sackcloth of his mourning and despair. That's exactly where the enemy wants the people of God in our time and place of need. He wants us at a place where we figure out a way to go through life looking one way, but we're actually feeling another way. He, he wants us to know how to cover things up and come to the house of God and nobody knows the despair and nobody knows the struggle that we are carrying. Come on, somebody help me right now. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Nobody knows the darkness I've been struggling with. Nobody knows the constant discouragement and the constant disillusion.
disillusionment that I've been battling in my mind and in my spirit. But I've come to preach to somebody this morning that that's not the will of God in your time and in your place of need. God doesn't desire you to go through life with your sackcloth covered as uh, up as the kingly robe. But God wants somebody to admit this morning, yes, I've got a need, but I've also got an altar. Yes, I've got, I'm in a low place, but I have a God who can be touched with the feeling of my infirmities. I might be cast down, but there is a God that can lift me up. And I refuse to go through life hiding my need. Be seated. I'm hurrying today. In the midst of all this, in the midst of the famine, in the midst of all the things in Samaria, the Bible tells us that the great prophet Elisha had a prophecy. 2 Kings 1 and 7 tells us, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. i got to tell you something. When a, when a man of God or a woman of God, a person of God, looks at you in the eye and says, Hear what saith the Lord. You better pay attention to what the Lord is trying to tell you. He said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord tomorrow. About this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel. And two measures of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. No doubt people thought that this old prophet, that this old man had lost his mind. Because he said, I know what it looks like right now. But just give it 24 hours and God's about to turn everything around. People thought he was crazy. People thought he had lost it. Here we are today paying $25 for dove droppings. Mothers are killing and eating their babies. We're surrounded by an enemy who is on the verge of victory. And you expect us to believe that everything is going to turn around so drastically in just 24 short hours. We'll be able to buy six liters of refined flour at the gate of the city for $25. That is impossible. How many times has a man of God looked at you and prophesied over you and told you, I know it looks bad, but you just give it a few few days. You just give it a short amount of time, and God is going to turn it around. I know, I know what you're thinking. I've been there too. When somebody looked at me and said, "Don't you worry about it. God's going to work it out." And I tried to act like I believed it, but inside, I thought, "Have you lost your mind? Do you know what I'm going through?" Do you know what my life looks like? Do you not understand the place that I'm in? But Elisha said, I know what it looks like. I know that the enemy has been whispering in your ear in the midnight hour. I know that the enemy's at work. But I've heard 
a word from God. And he said that he's about to turn some things around. He said, I've heard a word from God. And God said that he's about to step in. I've heard a word from God. And God said he's about to do a quick work. And is there anybody in this house today that can receive the word of faith that just says tomorrow about this time I can have my joy back. Tomorrow about this time you can have your peace back. Tomorrow about this time you can have your passion back. Tomorrow you can have your dance back. All it takes is one word from God and everything changes. I feel a rising in this house. Is there anybody that believes that we shall be well? Is there anybody that believes that no weapon formed against you shall prosper? It was the great prophet Elisha who heard from God and spoke those seemingly impossible words, but it was not Elisha. That would make it happen. He spoke it. He was a mouthpiece, but it wasn't going to happen through Elisha. Because while all of this was happening in Samaria, the famine, the king, the prophecy, while all of this was happening, what we read as in our text that we read earlier is happening simultaneously at the gate of Samaria. So we read in our text. And there were four leprous men entering into the gate. And they said one to another, why sit here till we die? If we say we will enter in the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we shall also die. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall die. What a terrible predicament. These four men found themselves in their bodies ravaged by leprosy. And they took, at, they, as they look at their lives and realize our entire life comes down to just three options. From where we find ourselves now, we can only do one of three things. One, we can go back to the city from where we came. Number two, we can stay where we're at. And number three, we can march toward the enemy. None of them sounded like good options. All three positions or options rather carried with them not just the possibility of death, but all three carried the very likelihood of death. No matter what we do, we are likely to die. If we go back to the city, we are most likely to die because of the famine in the city and the people that are dying there. If we stay here, then we're going to likely die in our condition that we find ourselves in. But if we march toward the enemy, then we are likely to die because they came all this way from Syria to kill us. But I believe that the four leprous men had a wisdom that calls them to look at these options and say, on the surface, none of them seem to be great options. That, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a great... That's great theology. That's great revelation there. None of these look to be great options. But there is one option that stands out from the other two. One of, of the three options, there is only one that we haven't tried yet. Of the three options, there is only one place that we haven't been to yet. In your time of, 
in place of need. There isn't time to entertain going back to the city from where you came. You know that there's a famine or famine where you came from. People are dying from where you came from. People, you, know, you almost died yourself where you came from. There isn't time to entertain the thought of going backward in your time in place of need. There isn't time to entertain the thought of sitting paralyzed where you are until you die. But I wish that somebody would make up in your mind this morning that in your time and place of need, I might as well do something that, that I have never done before. You might as well do what those men decided to do. I might as well go somewhere I've never been. I might as well reach for something I've never touched before. I don't have any guarantees that this is going to happen when I get there. It might be a place of plain, but it also might be a place of healing. It might be a place of death, but it also might be a place of victory. I might fall flat on my face, but I also might mount up on wings as an eagle. I won't know until I try. I won't know until I step in and give it a shot. Hurry into a close. So the Bible tells us that the four leprous men gathered the remaining strength and dragged themselves toward the camp of the enemy. No weapon. They didn't have a, they didn't have a weapon. They had leprosy. They had no strength to defeat an army. They were weakened. They were vulnerable. But that's when God stepped in. God, the Bible tells us, translated the sound of four broken, shuffling, leprous men. And God made the enemy to hear the sound of many horses and chariots. The enemy thought an army had come to save Samaria. And then the Bible tells us that the enemy turned and ran for their lives. They left their supplies behind and they ran. There is something powerful about a child of God who needs something to happen. Who needs something, there's something powerful about a child of God who is in their time and place of need that will throw themselves upon the very mercy of God. So I ask you in this place today, if God can do this for four weakened, leprous, leprous men, can you imagine what God could have done with an entire city? And I submit to you that all the people of the city had not reached this place of need that I am preaching to you about this morning. Yes, they were desperate, but they still had not reached to this place of need that I am preaching to you about. Desperation. They were desperate. They didn't need, but they were desperate. But desperation, by definition, is characterized by rash, reckless, and extreme decisions. Killing and eating your baby is an act of desperation. It's a rash in a reckless decision. Desperation indicates that you do have options. They may not be good options. You might have to do things that you would rather not do, but you feel like you at least have an option. 
I feel like through desperate acts, I might be able somehow to survive my situation. But the problem with those in the city is that they were dying in the city. They had convinced themselves that they were living when in truth they were really dying. They were willing to do anything that they could do to stay alive. But what separated these four men and took them to a place of need was the fact that they looked at their situation. They weren't under any false illusions that they were go- they were living where they were, but they understood that they were dying where they were. There is something about that understanding that will push you to a place of need where you will say, God, something has to happen. And what I come to preach to you so, uh, so elementary today is that somebody here who is tired of going from desperate decision to desperate decision, killing and eating the baby might buy me and keep me just a few more days. But when I wake up on Monday, I realize that I'm trapped in the same city I've always been trapped in. I'm surrounded by the same enemy I've always been surrounded by, and nothing has changed. So I wish that somebody today would make up in your mind that I'm not looking for a way to survive here where I'm at. I'm looking for something to happen that will allow me to walk out of this city once and for all and say, I'm never coming back to this place again. I'm never living in this circumstance again in my life. It began with the courage of four men. began with the courage of four men who looked in the mirror and said, we're dying where we're at. It takes a great deal of courage to look in the mirror and say, I don't have the abundant life that I was meant to have. It takes a lot of courage to look in the mirror and say, I'm not living where I'm at, that I'm actually dying. It takes real courage to say, I can't afford to stay in this place. I find it interesting that it was a group of lepers that reached that, reached the point of realization because it's easy to sit in a group of lepers and not to acknowledge that we're dying as individuals. The tendency is to get in a group of lepers and begin to compare ourselves among ourselves. Yes, I've got leprosy. Yes, I have this. But look at him. He can't even walk. I have it, but I'm so much better off than he is. He's missing fingers. I've got all mine. He's missing an ear, but i got both of mine. Sometimes all it takes is for one person to get the courage to stand up and say, I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied comparing myself to others. I'm not satisfied anymore with saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I'm not as sick and as desperate as so-and-so. It takes courage for someone to say, I'm 
I'm not satisfied with that. That spoken need, when we admit that we have a need, it does something in the spirit realm. It triggers a reaction where people begin to say, we can't go back to where we came from. And we can't afford to stay here where we're at. So our only option is to go forward to a place that I'm not sure about. A place I've never been before. I can't say for sure what's going to happen when I get there, but I, I do know what's going to happen if I stay here. Because I know that if I stay here, I'm going to die here. But there is a chance that if I go to the camp of the enemy, there is a chance that they're going to kill me. But there is also a slight chance that they won't. I know how the enemy operates. I've been serving the Lord since I've had the Holy Ghost since 1988. I know how the enemy operates. I know how he works. He will show up to that place where you're dying and he will whisper to you, you're dying. So you might as well just lay here where you're at because you're going to die anyways. But I've come to preach a defiance into somebody's spirit today that says if I'm going to die, I'm not going to die like this. If I am going to die, I'm going to die standing on my own two feet. If I'm going to die, then I'm going to die looking the enemy in the face and fighting for everything I've got. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die reaching for my purpose. But I refuse to lay here and allow leprosy to tear me apart. Why sit here we till we die? Stand with me right now. It's not that I want something to happen. But that it's I need something to happen. My need can cause me to move forward to a place where God has prepared provision for me. God has the answers that I need. God has the healing that I need. God has the deliverance that I need. I close with this. The Bible says that when they got to the enemy's tent, remember, God calls the sound of chariots and horses to call the, calls the enemy to run. Not only do they run, but they left behind all of their provisions. So when these men got to the enemy's tent, they ate and they drank. They took some silver. They said, we've, we've got to go back to the city and tell everybody about this. And the Bible tells us 
And it says it like this. We do not well if we don't go back and tell everybody there is provision in the camp of the enemy. What the enemy meant for evil. What the enemy meant to take them out. God took it and turned it around. And they find themselves now in the camp of the very people that sought to kill them and destroy them. And God said, if you will go forward, I will bring you to this place. And it's not a place of death. It's not a place of uncertainty. But I am going to give you what you need in the presence of your enemy. God sent me here for somebody. If today you will respond to your need the way that God desires you to respond, you'll learn that your need or your situation in the first place was simply about getting something or it was about something so much bigger than what you are or what your situation is. These men became the vehicle that God used to save an entire city. Hear me when I tell you that when you respond to your need the way that God wants you to respond and you allow your need to push you to where God wants to take you, you become qualified to go back to the city with a testimony of what God did for you. You can say, yesterday I was where you're at. Yesterday I was dying. Yesterday I was hopeless and I was broken, but I made a move and God has taken me to a new place. I made a move and I followed God and he took me to a place of provision. I thought I was going to die where you were at, but I moved and God made a way for me. Today, I don't know what your need is. I don't know what you're going through. And I'm not going to pretend to, and I'm not going to pretend to know who God sent me here to speak to. But I do know that you are in this house. The Holy Ghost has revealed it to me that you are in this house. You've been living in a place where you have been dying day after day, year after year. You've been dying a little bit more each day. Each day takes you down a little bit further and a little bit further. And you've been satisfied with where you are at. And you are satisfied being what you've always been, but God sent this preacher here to, to tell you right now that if you will step out from where you're at, if you will begin to move forward, then God is going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy. What the enemy meant to kill you, God is going to cause to bring life into your situation. What the enemy calls to bind you for the rest of your life, God is about to cut those bands of bondage off of you, and you are going to be freer than you have ever been. You're going to be freer than you can ever thought possible. You are going to be a new creature in Christ. Come on, open these altars. If you have a need in your life and you need God to do something, I want you to run down to this altar and I want you to throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I don't just want you to do it, but God, I need you to do it. God, I don't want to just, I don't want to just come in a contact 
with your presence. But God, I need you to change my life. I need you to work on my behalf. Come on, somebody, lift up your voice right now. Are you going to be the person that you used to be? But God's going to create in you a clean heart and renew a right spirit in you. He's going to make you a new creature. All things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new.